Do you like to binge watch TV? Did you know you could binge listen to podcasts? Head over to electronicmediacollective.com where they have podcasts for days. Do you like podcasts about wrestling? They have that. Do you like podcasts about TV and film? They have that. Do you like podcasts about horror? EMC has that too. Do you like comedy? Do you like books? Guess what? They've got you covered. Head over to electronicmediacollective.com Pick your favorite podcast today. Hi, this is John Dugan, Grandpa from Texas Chainsaw Massacre, and you're listening to Moose's Monster Mash. Keep mashing. Welcome, Horror Hounds, to an all-new episode of Moose's Monster Mash, the show that knows Grandpa Sawyer was the fastest man on the kill line. I'm your host, Moose, and for this episode, we have none other than the man who slaughtered 60 head in one day. More if the hook-and-pull gang could have kept up with him. That's right, folks. Grandpa Sawyer himself from the 1974 classic Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Mr. John Dugan. Welcome to the show, John. How are we doing? Good, good. How are you, Moose? <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. You stay insane during uh, lockdown procedures? Yeah, well, you know, I live way out in the country anyway. I live like eight miles from the nearest town. Oh, so you're town. used to isolation. And, uh, yeah, I'm pretty used to it. And for a while, you know, up until last year, we only had one vehicle. So <laughs> I was up here a lot. <laughs> You know, if my wife was at uh, at work, I was here, you know. And so, uh, yeah, I'm pretty so used to it. I, I saw in your history you did some stage and, uh, like, theater acting. What kind of stuff did you like to do? Uh, I'll, do I'll do anything, you know, given the chance. Um, uh, I went to theater school, you know. I started out just doing plays in high school. And I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life, but I knew I liked, you know, doing the high school, you know, drama club thing. And uh, then I found out that I didn't really want to go to college. And I didn't know I certainly didn't want to go in the military because this was during the Vietnam War. Um, so I was just kind of in flux about what I wanted to do. And then I found out there was such a thing as professional theater school. And I auditioned at a Goodman at the Art Institute of Chicago, and I was accepted based on my audition. And so uh, I ended up at the Goodman Theater for three years in Chicago, and then and did theater around Chicago until I moved to uh, L.A. and uh, to try to get film work. I moved to L.A. to wait tables and, <laughs> instead of Chicago. You know, quit my waiting table job in Chicago, moved to L.A. to wait. I moved to L.A. Table. to become an overpaid waiter. Yeah. <laughs> isn't, that the, isn't that the way life goes? Yeah, you know, I have uh, my cousin's granddaughter or something. Um, you know, she said, you know, uh, 
so and so is interested in, in becoming an actor. Do you have any advice for her? <laughs> I said, Yeah, tell her how to uh, learn how to wait tables, cook, wash dishes, sell shoes, <laughs> deliver freight, paint houses. I started going through everything I'd done in my life just to make a living. <laughs> Ten bar. <laughs> so the secret to becoming a good actor is, yeah, <laughs> learn every side hustle you possibly can. Yeah. Otherwise, you really will Here's be a starving actor. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you, you'll end up playing one of those bodies on CSI for real. Yeah, God. <laughs> Do they? I guess they use real actors to do yeah, that. Yeah, do you get you get paid? A, I think it's a day wage, and you have to lay there to and you, just, you you get put in makeup and you lay there to, and you're told, okay, hold your breath. Every so often, you see the dead guy breathe. It's like you had one job. You had to hold your breath while yeah. the camera is on you for like two seconds. Well, Kevin Costner played the dead guy in. Uh in um 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 the big chill yeah but they actually he had a couple scenes in flashback that got cut but you know from before he died or before he you killed have himself some interesting uh movies in your credit list and you know it, it's a good mix of horror and uh i don't want to say normal movies but for my sake, I'll say normal movies. Um, <laughs> but do you do you prefer the horror genre over the other, or is it just that that seems uh, to be your wheelhouse at the I, moment? Uh, well, those are the, the people that get in touch with me about uh, about um, you know doing their project. Or, you know, people doing horror. Because that's just, you know, what happened. <laughs> but um, I, you know, I'm more interested in a good role. Yeah. And somebody, and somebody with a budget, and and uh, any any particular genre. <laughs> I want somebody who's going to pay me on time. Oh, you're so picky. And in a, a, a well written script, you know, and a nicely written role. Uh. But uh, most of the stuff I've done has to do with, you know, murders and stuff like that. So uh, my latest thing, I played a, uh, it was a period piece. So it was fun. You know, the costumes and all that stuff. Uh, I got to lead a pack horse, you know, into the scene and that, that sort of thing. And... Uh, but it, it was it involved a couple of murderers, you know. The, the film did. They were the Hart the Hart brothers were. Uh, they think maybe the, the the first serial killers in the history of what is now the United States. Hmm. Um, and they were just two two brothers who uh, who were just assholes. Nice. <laughs> you know? But you know, it was the United States, but it was only the original thirteen states, and they and they live in what uh, they they roamed in what is now uh, Tennessee, Kentucky, uh, that area uh, through the you know the Cumberland Gap area and, and that sort of thing. And uh, 
they were just cold-blooded killers. They just fucking murdered people and uh, and and took all their shit and then moved on down the road, you know. So that was fun. And then I then I got to do, I did a Hollywood film. Yeah, actually went out to Hollywood and did a film a few years ago that was released uh, six months or well, maybe last year called Rock, Paper, Scissors. It was... Uh, Directed by Tom Holland, written, uh, co-written by uh, Victor Brooke Miller, who who wrote the original uh, Friday the Thirteenth. So, but you know, this last year I've done well. I had you know, uh, I had some health issues. You know, I had oral cancer, and uh, I had uh, a jaw removed. <laughs> when did that come up? Prosthetic. Uh, but anyway, I have a, a bit of a speech impediment now. I look a little bit different. I, I speak out of the side of my mouth, you know, so I sound different. I look different. So I, I, you know, I was afraid I'd never work again, but I've had one acting gig, the Harp Brothers, and uh, and I actually had a, a, a voiceover job. So, you know, I've worked a couple times in the last was year. Was that? Did you have the jaw removed before last fall? It will be two years. Yeah, it'll be two years in August. See, because, yeah, when I, I so met that. you at Monster Fest in uh, Moline, I had no idea. Couldn't tell. Oh, seriously? Yeah. Wow. Yeah, and I mean, you you and I had a couple. I mean, we went on a panty raid together. I took you to find panties. <laughs> <laughs> because they had that booth that were selling the uh, 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 the underwear with all the uh, different logos on it. Like, uh, the one I can remember off the top of my head, Ghostbusters, it was Busted Makes Me Feel Good. You know, and then it had a bunch of, like, women's <laughs> underwear and stuff like that. And you're like, really? Yeah. I'm like, yeah. Yeah, I was probably looking for a pair of panties. I was probably looking for a pair of panties for my wife. <laughs> I was like, this is great. I'm taking uh, Grandpa Sawyer on a panty raid. <laughs> this is my weekend. I love it. <laughs> yeah, but yeah. Yeah, that was uh, that was maybe my first appearance after that whole thing uh, was the uh, quad quad cities. So yeah, I I couldn't um, tell a thing. I can't remember. <laughs> I'm surprised you if you could remember anything from that weekend. I'd be surprised because for a man of your size, you could you can hold your alcohol, man. Woo wee. So I've heard. <laughs> My dad used to introduce me as his son with a hollow leg. <laughs> well, you had to put it somewhere. This is my son, John Jr., with a hollow leg. <laughs> yeah, I was a junior. I had, I finally, you know, getting that, getting that junior dropped off my name, you know, legally, you know, from all my. Uh, all my uh, credit cards and shit like that after my dad died was a real pain in the ass. I mean, really, really a pain in the ass. And some stuff, you know, I still come up with John Duke and Junior. See, I never thought getting something dropped off your name would be uh, that hard. I mean, outright changing it, I figured it would be difficult, but... Well, they just consider it practically changing it. You know, I didn't, I didn't do it legally. Huh. But I contacted... I just ordered it off all my cards and everything, you know. And uh, 
my driver's license and stuff it's like, like that. It's two less letters you have to print. Shut up and just give me my damn card. Yeah. Save your ink over the long run. There were two others before we get into the main course of this interview that I wanted to ask you about, and that was Book of Ash and Attack of the Killer Chickens, the movie. Uh, Attack of the Killer Chickens. That's my, I, I did a little cameo thing in there. Uh, my friend uh, who wrote and directed it, uh, she was at, uh, she came to the uh, the New Jersey Horror uh, Convention and Film Festival and uh, just walked around and uh, asked friends of hers who are horror actors, you know, who are actors, if they'd do a little thing for her for a movie. <laughs> so that's what that was. And I played like the mayor or the governor of, you know, this... Uh, state or the city that was under attack by the killer chickens <laughs> and then I get attacked by the killer chicken while I'm while I'm saying it's all under control or whatever <laughs> well I mean if you're going to go out and, and killer uh, chicken's the, the way to go ash, yeah the book of ash that never got off the ground there's stuff on my IMDB that never came to fruition uh but, you know, I'm on there because people use your name to raise money, and then they don't get the money. And uh, the film never happens. And That sucks. Uh, yeah. What really sucks is when they get the money, this happened to me once, uh, they managed to get the money, and they use the money for a completely different project. That, you know, well, I'd be pissed. Yeah, I was hired on to do... Uh, Crazy fat Ethel, or fat crazy Ethel, and uh, and they ended up not using any of us who, had, you know, once they got the money to do it. But I, I kind of got into it was a director before the whole thing about the way he was using my name, as he was using my name. Like I was involved in another project of his, and I wasn't something anyway. So I had a feeling I kind of I kind of burnt that bridge anyway. But um, I have, a, a, you know, a, a committed myself to a project where they got all the money for the project, and they did another script that they had. Crazy. Then the guy had the nerve. Then the guy had the nerve to ask an actress in the movie if uh, if I play a dead a dead guy in a in, a, uh, in one scene in a movie he was shooting in uh, uh, close to where I live because he knew I lived down here. We just got a lot of fucking nerve. <laughs> <laughs> One scene is a dead guy. Uh, so anyway. I don't want to pay you to do anything else, but <laughs> can I get you to be a dead guy? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's like, no, when you come down, I'll give oh, you a dead one. guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Book of Ash I would like to have done. I like the script. I say from what little I was able uh, to find online about it, it, you know, cause there, there were a few like, uh, teaser sites about what it was supposed to be and stuff. It sounded like it was going to be a really good movie. And then, yeah, it just disappeared off the face of the earth. It's like, what happened? Well, yeah, I like the idea of fucking psycho killers that have deep religious affiliation. Yeah, it gives you that, uh, they think they're on the side of the righteous. Yeah, you know, so, and that sort of that that sort of character has always fascinated me. I was uh, I was going to play the role of a uh, 
of a priest that befriends a, a, a guy, and uh, it, it was a nice little role. But uh, it never happened. Be. Yeah. Well, let's get into it. The Texas Chainsaw Massacre, which you've been in three versions of. Yeah, the only living actor to be in three different, uh, three different ones of the franchise. Because you reprised your role in Texas Chainsaw 3D. Uh, you yeah. played a hospital cop in Next Generation, and yeah. then obviously you were Grandpa in the beautifully written original, which I just watched again last night to make sure my memory is still fresh on everything. And I remember, it's not even the fact that it's a horror movie that I like it, it's how well everything was written. For a movie to come out of the 70s that still holds that well and just put together, oh, yeah. it's rare. Well, um, well you know... AFI, the American Film Institute, named it one of the top 100 American films of all time. Not horror Just, films. Yeah, films, films in general. Like I said, it's it's so well put together that it it can stand on its own as just a normal film with slasher elements. It was uh, it was one of those things that perfect storm, you know, a flash in the pan, once in a lifetime kind of thing. It was just that one summer where all of us came together and made this film. You know, Kim Hankel, you know, is doing most of the writing, and uh, there is so much Kim Hankel in that film, <laughs> if you knew Kim. <laughs> but uh, because he's got a really bent sense of humor. <laughs> I mean, just a little genius, the twist. Like, making making the handicapped guy is a really hateful character, you know? They've never oh, been yeah, done. I mean, uh, you know? The handicapped guy is usually a sympathetic character, and he was just so fucking irritating. <laughs> Let's make the guy in the wheelchair the guy that everybody hates off the bat. Yeah, I mean that is evil genius, isn't it's it? It's like, huh? Just from a from a character writing oh, standpoint. Yeah. <laughs> but Kim had worked for a while at a school for. Uh, uh, a school or a home for handicapped adults or something in Austin, Texas, for a while, as a young man. <laughs> and I think he drew on some of his experiences. These guys that. aren't all that sympathetic. Some of them are assholes. Oh, yeah, I was a caregiver for mentally handicapped adults uh, for several years in a group home situation. I kind of ran the kitchen, did all the shopping and that sort of thing, and took care of them, you know, bathed them or whatever, helped they needed, tied their shoes, and fought them off. I have scars in that fucking kid. Battle wounds! Um, because, yeah, they were violent. And uh, these were double diagnosis guys. They were mentally ill and mentally retarded. Double diagnosis. And, and uh, one of the things you learn in training is these, these guys can't, they're not angels, you know. They can all be assholes. They're all capable of lying to get what they want, you know, just like any other human being. But it sure works. And, and Paul, you know, in the film, and Paul Partain, I can't imagine anybody else doing that role. No. You know, I can't imagine anybody else doing any of the roles in that. So, yeah, it, so it, well yeah, like you said, it was a perfect storm of casting and writing, and it just, everything came together so beautifully. You know, the direction, Toby's direction, uh, Daniel Pearl's cinematography and lighting, 
Um, just, uh, you know, everybody, the whole crew were telling, you know, this wasn't the no budget, uh, get your friends together, and make a movie in the backyard kind of thing. They put some thought into it, obviously, and they got the best people for the jobs. And the, the actors were all actors and the, you know, the filmmakers were all filming, you know, it just worked and everybody worked. Well, I mean, you have Ed as the hitchhiker mm -hmm. who, again, you can't picture anybody else in that role. Oh, no. You know, I mean, he brought no. just enough crazy to the role that... Jim Seedop, you know, was the old yeah, man. I mean, and, and then you had Gunner as uh, uh, Leatherface, and it's just like, okay, this is this is great. You know, he, he's big, he's menacing, he's imposing, but he's still like a big child. Yeah, exactly. He's like a big you know, four-year-old. You could see, like, and they, they really capitalized on that. It wasn't just... You know, it's not like uh, Jason and Michael Myers who are just big, hulking killers. With uh, Leatherface, it's always been, you know, he's big and hulking, but he's fragile. And, like, Gunner played him tremendously. You know, with that just little standoffish uh, ease of, you know, like, uh, you know, I, I don't want to put myself out there because I'm going to get hurt. Because you could tell, like, he'd been abused his whole life. Like, you could yeah. just look at him and you, you knew his life story. You didn't need a background on Leatherface. You knew what it was. And for a character that doesn't talk, that's awesome. The way he takes, the way he uh, takes care of Grandpa, like you know, almost a nurturing kind of way, you know, uh, kissing him, stroking him, kissing him on top of his head, and and everything. Just marvelous. Do you have any uh, fun stories from the set? Oh God, it was such a long time ago. <laughs> uh, uh, I. You know, I get asked this all the time. I never come up with it. I, uh, yeah, I should have a few laughs. I worked as a, uh, like a production assistant kind of character. I drove around to pick up props and take props back once we were done with them. And I run to the store for somebody who wanted something special, like from the 7-Eleven or the U totem is what it was down there. Then we had, a, you know, a rule, no, uh, no smoking on, no, no smoking marijuana on <laughs> company time. <laughs> no pot on set. Which, uh, yeah. And, uh, first time I've heard that one. Which, uh, I, Kim and I were walking around the corner of the house or something. And, uh, somebody had picked a marijuana plant from the backyard. And there was just pot growing back there. And, uh, had had uh, put it out to dry and dry, was drying it. Kim and I walked around the corner of the house and fucking <laughs> that was Toby rolling up a joint out of the stuff. <laughs> and Kim reprimanded him. Kim was like, Toby. <laughs> He's like, I can't help it, man. I gotta try this stuff out. <laughs> we can't smoke, you can't smoke either. Yeah. <laughs> kind of. I told me, come on, man. You know, it's your rule. <laughs> yeah, but this is drying out and it smelled amazing. 
Yeah. <laughs> and then there was pot brownies at uh, lunch one day, but uh, nobody knew it. I thought they were just brownies. That would have made filming fun. <laughs> but the uh, the caterer was uh, Ted Nicola's wife. <laughs> Uh, our, our sound guy, who is now a film director, you know, I don't know if you know Ted, uh, but she was a marvelous sort of hippie, hippie chef. You know, we had a lot of sort of healthy vegetable stuff, whole grains and legumes and things like that. I was kind of, you know, when I wasn't there, act, uh, I kind of got assigned to assist uh, uh, Sally Richardson, who is our assistant director. So I was kind of I was kind of a boy toy, you know, huh? In more ways than one. I, but, uh, I, I could think of less uh, productive things to do when you're uh, killing times. No, well, I tell you, Ed Neal, Ed Neal, Ed Neal steered me clear of that because I, I said to Al, "Hey, Sal, uh, I said to Ed, one day I've been working with Sally, and uh, we were we were doing the van up." I was when I spit. I, I spit actually spit the stage blood all over the van, and you know, she and I made that that mark on the side of the van uh, with the stage blood and everything. And uh, she was uh, being very flirtatious. She says, uh, "You know, let's uh, you know after work, let's get together for a couple of beers. You know, after work one of these nights, like maybe tomorrow or something." I said, sure, it sounds great, you know. So I mentioned to Ed a while later. I said, Sally just asked me to go for beers with her, man. And he goes, don't do it, John. I said, why? He goes, she's sleeping with Toby. Oh, shit. Like, oh, damn. Yeah. <laughs> and Toby was was married to or living with my sister's best friend at the time, too. <laughs> so it's like, like, God damn it, Toby. <laughs> Yeah, I didn't know that, <laughs> you, you bastard. It's like, way to ruin my fun. Yeah. <laughs> but Austin, Texas, the summer of 73, you know, it's like if you couldn't get laid there, you could get laid anyway. Just <laughs> <laughs> put that on the billboards. Yeah. It was, you know, the free love hippie days, you know. It was all sex, drugs, and rock and roll back then, which is not necessarily a bad thing. <laughs> I don't think Ed ever came out of the hippie days. Yeah. Neil. <laughs> he, uh, well, no, I wouldn't want to reveal any of his private stuff. <laughs> yeah, I remember a few conversations with him, and I'm like, whoa. Yeah. <laughs> He's ate up, man. I was like, man. It's like it's like he went to a Grateful oh. Dead concert and just forgot to leave. <laughs> Great guy, but man, does he get sidetracked he, he easy? Is a, <laughs> oh yeah, he digresses. He won't, <laughs> I do. Too, I do that too. You know, I start out one place and then I end up like so. When I was in the third grade, my teacher made wit was. She, uh, <laughs> this one time I she yelled uh, at me till I threw up. <laughs> and, uh, 
Where was I? No, wait a minute. Where what? What was the question? <laughs> we were talking about what? I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> flashbacks, man. Seven flashbacks. You know, it's funny. the The grandpa character has very minimal screen time, but is probably one of the most iconic characters from the movie. Like, I th- honestly, I think you're in the movie for m- less than ten minutes. Oh no, it's longer than that. I'm in. I'm in there. I'm in like three or four scenes, but I mean, they're all they all take place. Uh, most of them take place in and around the dinner. Uh, you know, so that could be what I'm thinking. It's just so rapid fire right there towards the uh, end. That could be where I'm getting confused. But I probably the whole last half yeah. hour, you know. But so it just doesn't seem like that yeah. much. But but I mean, compared to everybody else, you, you're you're not in there that much. But the little bit that you are in there, it's super memorable. And like I said, you've managed it. Your character managed to become one of the most iconic characters from the movie i mean honestly when you think of the characters from that movie you think of leatherface you and the hitchhiker and then you start going down the list of everybody else like i couldn't even remember who the final girl was and i'm pretty good at remembering who survives i was like wait who survives this (laughs) i was like i know somebody survives who the hell was it? You know? You know, it's not... Gun and I have talked about this. You know, well, other cast members have talked about it a lot, but it's not easy acting a role when you have no lines, you know, to describe, you know, what you're... To give you a clue about what the church is like and, you know, how to, you know, to express yourself with no, no words. It's not a very easy thing to do. And I, here I'm going to digress. Oh, no, that's right. <laughs> but uh, I knew uh, Stuart Gordon, who just passed away a couple weeks ago. God love him. Uh, I knew Stuart from the Chicago Theater days when I was at the Goodman and, and Travel Light Theater. And, and he was, uh, of course, the Chicago Organic Theater. He was a, you know, a Chicago Theater icon. Uh, so he knew me. I've been knocking around the theaters in Chicago for years, and, and uh, um, I auditioned for him several times. Never was cast in any of his plays, but um, and I, I ran into him. I hadn't seen him since uh, I was backstage visiting a, an actor friend of mine at the Organic Theater, and he was after the show and in the dressing room and everybody's taking their makeup off and Stuart was in there and that that would have been the last time I'd seen him and then you know after he moved to LA and you know got the film you know I never saw him again and uh so I was in Texas Frightmare fucking Jesus 11 years ago or something and uh Stuart was there and he was sharing a table with Ted Nicolau. Small world. And I hadn't seen Ted. <laughs> and I, yeah, I hadn't seen Ted. I hadn't seen Ted since 1973. So I stopped. I ran over there to to say hi to Ted. And I noticed that that was Stuart that was sitting at his table. You know, someone did stuff. So, uh, so after I talked to Temple, I turned to Stuart and said, hey, Stuart, you know, you you probably don't remember me, but I, and he goes, yeah, I, I I remember, I remember who you are, 
I said, you know, I, I auditioned for you several times. You never cast me in anything. <laughs> <laughs> he said, and he said, and I was sorely mistaken, John. <laughs> Vindication. <laughs> but now this leads, me up, this leads me up to where I was talking about as far as physical acting and everything. So um, a couple of years after that, uh, Gunnar got to talking about, uh, we were doing a show together, and we started talking about the relationship between Grandpa and uh, Leatherface, and and uh, and you know I said it, it was you know certainly was not you know people think they slapped a fucking rubber mask on me I sat there you know it was way more than that he goes oh you know yeah I, I totally understand that and he said Stuart Gordon told me one time. That you had always been a marvelous physical actor. <laughs> and I said, Really? <laughs> he said, Yeah. That's how a bitch wouldn't cast me <laughs> in anything. <laughs> yeah. Why did you tell me that? Why didn't you ever give me a motherfucking job? About <laughs> such a good actor. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he just passed away a couple weeks ago from uh, renal failure. Yeah, I saw that. That's sad. My whole generation is dropping but like I mean, flies. Given current state of affairs, <laughs> I'd rather drop from, you know, regular disorders than the corona. Yeah, well, at least his wife got to be with yeah. him and everything. I had a heart attack about a month ago. Jesus. I don't know if you knew that. And uh, they put a stent uh in me, and my wife was so upset because once she took me into the emergency room and they took me back, that was it. She couldn't, they couldn't, uh, she didn't get to come stay with me in the hospital or anything, so she was kind of left in the dark. Man, this has just been a hell of a she year was for you. You're the she was, yeah, no shit. She, uh, was really afraid that was the last time, uh, she was, it could be the last time she was gonna see me. I mean, you, you daughters yeah, down, was, you know, where the, not too far from where the fires were in Australia. Yeah. Yesterday was her birthday. It was 30, 36. Yeah, she was born on 420. <laughs> <laughs> I told her, you know, when she was, a, she's a funny person. She's got really good timing. And she's very articulate, well spoken. <laughs> um, I told her when she was about maybe thirteen or fourteen, her birthday was coming up. I said, oh, "On the twentieth, you know." And then I said, "Oh, you know, you were born on uh, Adolf Hitler's birthday." And she said, with a proper comedic pause, "You know, Dad, <laughs> I could have gone my whole life and not known that." <laughs> <laughs> the more you know. She's a really neat person. <laughs> yeah, but she's stranded there. You know, she was supposed to come home for her visit uh, next week. And she's going to uh, be in the States for like three weeks. And she was going to spend a week with me, a week with friends in Indiana, and a week with her mom in Florida, that sort of thing. And, uh, you know, Australia shut mm -hmm. down. Nobody in or out. That's it. 
and they've even uh, cat lives in uh, in Western Australia, the state of Western Australia, which is in the West. <laughs> but it's a really beautiful country. It's on the Indian Ocean, you know, the the, the coast of the West Coast of Australia is on the Indian Ocean. It's really beautiful there, and so it's kind of a vacation spot. And, uh, you know, they had the, the, the local authorities were stopping people trying to drive across the border into the state. <laughs> you know, checking ID. And if they weren't from Western Australia, they couldn't come in. You know, people from other states in Australia were not allowed. So they really closed it down. So as, uh, as of a few days ago, Western Australia had only had uh, two cases of uh, COVID nineteen so far. Jeez, so. I, see, I saw this morning Germany yeah. canceled uh, Oktoberfest for uh, September. Whoa! Yeah, like, yeah. It's like we're the only country that didn't take this seriously. Yeah, yeah. No kidding. My state still doesn't. Nebraska. Oh, yeah, shit, you guys got hit pretty hard. South Dakota's doing really bad, say, I'm, too. I'm right there in those three states that were, were in the, uh, oh, we, you should stay home because it's the right thing to do. No, nobody is doing that. Open your eyes. <laughs> the COVID triangle. Yeah. <laughs> it's about what it's becoming. Like, the rest of the country's going to open up, and we're just going to be like, ah, well, we're here. We're all still dying. <laughs> they leave it to the Midwest for behind in everything, apparently including common sense. I live in a very rural. Say that five times, real fast. Very rural. Oh, very I rural. Say it twice. A very r rural county. We're a large, very poor county, which means it's very cheap to live here. <laughs> uh, we have a three-bedroom, two-bath uh, home with a big closed-in back porch and a nice front porch and everything for, you don't even want to know, like 500 bucks a oh. month. So, yeah. Uh, I'm not going to be moving anytime. Hell no. I don't plan to. That's a hell uh, shit die in. You know, I must live in the city, but I've always enjoyed, I grew up in the country, so I've always enjoyed the country. <laughs> And I love living in the city. It's the suburbs. I could not tolerate no. living in a suburban situation. It's just to me, it's a cultural wasteland. <laughs> but, um, I say it's either you live in the country or you live in the city. Suburbs, it's, I feel like it's like the old, uh, Donnie Marie, a little bit of country, a little bit of rock and roll. You know, they want it both ways. You can't yeah. have it both ways. I'm sorry. Pick one. <laughs> Donnie and Murray. <laughs> no, so you have to pick one. I'm um, sorry. <laughs> so, uh, anyhow, we only have... So, it, it's not that hard. You're, I don't go into the nearest, you know, where the Walmart is and all that stuff. It's a town of about probably, I don't know, 20,000 people, Fairview, Tennessee. Um, I try to avoid going in there at all costs. My pharmacy is there. But they have a drive-up window, um, and the supermarket that I go to is there, but I'm trying to avoid that. And there's a, a the town that I actually 
my address is is Minocqua, Tennessee, and and over by the actual little village of Binacqua, there is a, a small supermarket that there's hardly ever anybody in. And so I've been going there if I need a couple of things. I don't have to run into many people. Does uh, your guys' and, Walmart uh, have a person counter at the door now, too? I don't know. I have no idea. Say, Why are they spacing people out? Because, yeah, at least at one of the Walmarts here in town, it's uh, it's like checking into a restaurant, and you like you go in, it's, okay, how many in your party? Oh, really? Two? Okay, <laughs> yep, we have room. Come in. It's wow. Like, whoa. Like, this is crazy. I'm going to have to start I, calling ahead for reservations at Walmart. Yeah, and I'm hardly anybody's wearing masks. I had to laugh when I went to do some shopping and I saw the elusive toilet paper in its natural environment. There were six packages on the oh, shelf. Wow. Yeah, I managed to pick up a six-pack uh, of uh, toilet paper a couple days ago. And there were three, there were three left. And that was at that little supermarket. Um, and there was about three or four rolls of paper towels, too. So I got one of those, you know, and they have a sign there, please, only one, you know, per, per customer. You know, be kind to the person behind you, you know. Um, but as to a supply chain, the big stores are wiped out because their supply chain. I was re- listening to public radio today. And the, I know we're totally off the subject of my acting career, but it's at uh, least anyway. you know, topical. I mean, this, this honestly, this is what everyone's talking about right now, so it makes perfect sense. Uh, but but uh, the big stores, you know, the Targets and, the, and like uh, Kroger's and Publix and stuff like that, they have very tight supply chains, so that they uh, very tightly arranged, so that they can go to the same distributor, you know, and. And when they're running low on something, they can order it and they have it a couple of days. Well, you know, their supply chain got wiped out. And uh, these smaller grocery stores are more flexible with who they buy their stuff from. Oh, yeah. So if one distributor, one distributor doesn't have it, they just get on the phone and call their buddy over at the other little distributor. And uh, so they can still get some in, you know. And so it's worked out for me because I don't have to see as many people, and then I actually managed by toilet. <laughs> and they have the kind of beer I, that I drank at home at, at a really good price. So, <laughs> what's your favorite brand? I'm drinking Long Neck uh, Rolling Rock right now. See, not this very moment, but you're you're being. in that region of the country that gets you know my favorite brand. I'm I'm a Yingling kind of guy. But oh yeah. I can't get it this far west. I like Yang. I like Yang. I, I like Yang Ling. Uh, I like their golden lager. Yeah. Actually, I like their original. You know, their amber lager too. But uh, I quit drinking it. This is gonna sound stupid. I quit drinking it because the family that owns Yang Ling gave a million dollars to the Trump campaign in 2016. Huh. So, so you know, same reason I try not to go to. I mean, you know, before I'm old school hippie. You know, if I don't like somebody, I boycott their company. So, Fair enough. 
not like it makes a huge difference. But I just but it makes you feel better, damn it. And that's what it's about. Let's steer this train back on the tracks because I derailed us. Yeah. (laughs) Um, we were talking about uh, acting without uh, being a physical actor. Um, you were still relatively young when uh, you played Grandpa. So what was it like being essentially a 90, 200-year-old man? Because that's sure shit what it came across as, came across like on the screen. Well, the thing is, I had, I had done it. I had, uh, I had played an old man in a, in a, uh, in a Enric uh, Ibsen play. I think it has to do with my stature. You know, being so small, so I could do that little old man thing. So I had played old men before, at, uh, at least twice before. Because uh, no, once in high school, I, I did a bit part as a really old guy. Uh, and then uh, twice at the Goodman Theater, and once in uh, The Wild Duck, and, and then once in uh, uh, Oh, Of Mice and Men, I played Ken. And uh, then in uh, The Killer by Eugene Ionesco, I played the killer, who was a a dwarf with uh, no legs, so on casters, you know, on yeah. wheels, walk, walk with his knuckles. Uh, and uh, again, he had no line. Uh, the killer had, I think, 24 laugh cues. And um, as uh, as uh, Beranger was pretty much talking about the meaning of life and everything, and, and uh, before the killer kills him, uh, he just laughs at everything that, that Beranger saying. But I tried to make each uh, each laugh distinctive and different, actually means which was not easy. So I had had experience with that sort of thing several times, just in the last five, you know, with him. Three or four years before I did the uh, grandpa, which uh, probably made it easier to have experience doing that. And, uh, and playing the killer was very physically, a very physical role, and uh, just, I don't know. So, and I was in the greatest shape of my life, you know. And here you are playing this frail old man. Yeah. But, you know, my body was in, in great shape, so I could do stuff with it, you know. And uh, Kim was the one, that, you know, he said, when we talked about the finger-sucking thing, and when he talked about Grandpa with me, he said he's a embryonic old man. Not so old, he's, he's, reverted, he's reverted back to infant status. Because when people get that old, you know, their hair falls out, you, you eventually, if you live long enough, you revert to... Infancy. Yeah, and uh, so we, you know, really talk seriously about character, you know, and and how he pictured the character and how he wanted me to play it. And when it came to the whole finger sucking, he said, that, you know, Grandpa doesn't really do a lot or move a lot till until he's eaten. He said, Have you ever seen a a child nurse, a uh, baby nurse on his mom? I said, Yeah, I have. As a matter of fact, my sister had uh, several children, and and. Uh, I think her oldest she had breastfed for a while. Anyway, I, you know, I I'd, I'd seen my my sister 
breastfeed my niece. And he said, you know how once they get the nipple in their mouth and the milk starts flowing, they get kind of excited and their hands start going to pump on the breast and then their, their knees come up and their feet start kicking. And and uh, I said, I know exactly what you're talking about. I'm never going to be able to see, watch this scene the same again. I'm going <laughs> to picture you suckling on a breast. Yeah, so he said, that's what, I, that's what I'm looking for here. So, I, you know, I took his direction. And it is creepy as hey, hell. You just, <laughs> you just made it worse. So, kudos. <laughs> <laughs> well, and then, like, you, you get to the scene where you're supposed to crack her in the head with the hammer. And, you know, you, yeah. you, you get to just, uh, drop. Oh, God damn it. Give him back the hammer. Uh, drop. No, you can do it. Come on. Uh, you know, it's just like, that's awesome. You know, cause, it, well, and I mean, it, it's, you know, it's the smallest thing, but, it, and honestly, in a lot of movies, it's the small details like that that get overlooked. And for somebody who's portrayed that frail, him to be able to still swing that hammer, there's no way it'd be possible. You know, and so a lot of movies it would have been, you know, oh, he can still do it. Whack, boom, dead. You know? But here you are, you got, you know, you, you got this fragile old suckling old man and he's still, you know, he, he can't hold the hammer like he used to. You know, he can't swing it like he used to. And it shows. And it, it just, it goes back to that, uh, like you said, the you have to find some way of portraying exactly what your character is without being able to talk. And that that scene right there pretty much described, okay, this guy is about as old and frail as, I mean, he's about a year away from dust. Because <laughs> he, he had the shake going and just, uh, you know, I mean, if you could talk, honestly, you probably would have just been like, oh, give it here, I got it. You know, but it, it's better that he didn't talk. Yeah, I, yeah. No, I think it's more effective. Um, but also the dynamic in that scene, Ed's getting really frustrated. You know, Hitchhiker's getting really frustrated. And uh, Leatherface is being very patient and actually takes Grandpa's hand and wraps it around the handle of the hammer and then lifts it up and helps Grandpa you know, get the one hit in that he does yeah. get uh, was with, uh, with Leatherface's assistant. So, you know, I just love the relationship between Leatherface and Grandpa. The relationship between Leatherface and Grandpa is, it's a very interesting, like, I would love to see a proper backstory on that. You know, because it, it, it's almost like Grandpa was his safe space when he was growing up. Yes, exactly. It's exactly. Yeah. And his parents were abusive as hell. His two brothers, you know, his two brothers were abusive to him. His parents were abusive to him. And grandpa, he was grandpa's little buddy. Yeah. You know? And so now, you know, grandpa took care of him when he was younger. Now he's going to help make sure uh, grandpa's looked after. Exactly. And exactly. You can almost see little mother following grandpa around the yeah. yard. Well, Grandpa can do chores, you know. Got a little mini sledge on his uh, hip. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> whacking squirrels. Well, Grandpa's in instructions helping him, showing him where it is. Right between the eyes. Mmm. Doof. <laughs> huh? Yeah. Don't kill him. You don't want to torture him. One hit. One hit. Make sure you get him good and dead. But yeah, I mean, you, you could definitely see it because, like, if anybody were to go after Grandpa, it didn't matter who you were, Leatherface went after you. Or, you know, like, well, when Hitchhiker started to lose his patience with Grandpa, you could kind of see uh, Leatherface start to get agitated with uh, Hitchhiker a little bit. Like, look, dude, I'm bigger than you. Leave him alone. Yeah. I'll mess you up. You know, so he, he, he got very protective of Grandpa. And it's it added an element to the Leatherface character that you don't see a lot in the slasher villains. You know, that yeah, was his humanity. Be. You know, Grandpa was his slice of humanity that was left. Albeit um, it was still a little messed up, but it was there. Uh, you know, go back and look at it. You just watched it last night, yeah. you say? Uh, the way that scene builds, the way it's edited, the way that Toby edited Toby and Sally edited it, edited it, <laughs> uh, just builds and builds and builds until finally, you know, Hitchhiker gets frustrated and reaches for the hammer and and uh, Sally gets away. Yeah. Wow. She takes the opportunity caused by the chaos to fucking mm -hmm. run. Yeah, I mean, so, he you got know. Leatherface who's trying to help his grandpa and Hitchhiker who just wants the kill. At this point, he doesn't care how, how it happens. He just wants, you know, he wants the bitch dead. You know, and in fighting, Gives her the break. Hitchhiker comes to a smashing end. Yeah. <laughs> where the uh, rubber meets the road. I forgot yeah, how I'm gruesome that was. I was like, oh! Ouch. Oh, that was brutal. <laughs> it's like, I remembered him getting hit by the truck. I just, I forgot. It was like, bug on a windshield. No, he doesn't get hit. He just run over. <laughs> I mean, he does get hit. He just squished. Yeah, you know, and one of the <laughs> other things I liked about this one, and a friend of mine pointed it out to me, that there's no nudity in Texas Chainsaw Massacre. No, nah, there's no sex, no, no tits. Yeah, you know, and there's always a tit shot in those movies. Yeah, you know, at least one. one you know, and because yeah, I was talking to my buddy about it leading up to this interview, I was like, and I said something. He goes, "No, I'm pretty sure you're wrong." Because I think you're just putting in the scenes. I'm like, am I? And then, yeah, watching it again, I was like, holy crap, I did. You know, you just, you get so used to over the years with, yeah, the tit shots and all of that and the obligatory uh, nude, nude scenes that you just start inserting them in, like, everything now. And yeah, this one, it, it didn't have it. And it's just like, they, uh, wow. And also, the, the Sawyer family could, didn't care about that stuff. Yeah. You know? They didn't, they didn't rape her before they, you know, they didn't rape her before they planned to no, kill her. No, they just killed her. They just, kill them, clean them, cook them. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, yeah, she actually offers herself up, you know, at one point. She goes, I'll do anything you want, anything, anything yeah. at all. Like, Fuck it, just kill her. <laughs> it's like, well, that didn't work. <laughs> <laughs> Before we wrap this up, is there any, do you have any, like, dream role that you would like to tackle before you shuffle off this mortal coil? Oh, uh, yeah, I'd, re- I'd really like to, um, I'd like to do a really well done Western. You know, spend, spend a few weeks out in the Southwest somewhere, you know, on location, riding horses and shooting six shooters and stuff like that, you know. I could see you in a Western. I would love, yeah, I would love to do that. Uh, and I think it's every, probably every one of one and every actor's dream, a male actor, you know, is probably to, to do a Western, you know, cause we grew up playing cowboys and Indians and we grew up watching Westerns at Saturday matinee. Yeah. So and, I grew uh, up a John Wayne fan. And so, um, so I'm probably not the only actor out there that would love to do a Western. I like to do a really good one, you know, well, well written, uh, you know, like Magnificent, Magnificent Seven or Silverado or uh, Tombstone. I say or, they're making a comeback, so tell your agent to keep on the phone. What Westerns are? Yeah, say that it's it's their turnaround again. Good, I love them. Yeah, I love the ones. Uh, the ones are, you know, I love the Italian westerns. You know, of the seventies. Um, all the Sergio Leone uh, films and um, a, a couple of Australian westerns I've seen. You know, or uh, Australian style westerns. Anyway, by Western style Australia. Never mind. That's quickly down under was actually took place in Australia, didn't it? But uh, the, oh, the, the the movie about Tom Selleck's mustache riding a horse. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> you know he couldn't get rid of that mustache if he wanted to. I wonder if he ever regrets the fact he let it grow <laughs> that he became known. Yeah, that he. Maybe he should have saved it long ago. Hey, if he ever wanted to go incognito, all he's got to do is shave it off now. I don't think... It's like, uh, you know, Owen Wilson, I saw him on, I guess it was Conan or, or something, some late night talk show, and I asked him about his, his nose, and uh, he and his brother Luke lived together. They were roommates when they both went to Hollywood, you know, and were starting to acting work, and so they went to see uh, some movie that Owen had done in a movie theater. And he saw himself on the big screen. He, he said he had never really noticed that his nose was so crooked before. <laughs> I don't know how he couldn't notice. Did you not look in a mirror? And he said he saw himself, he saw himself in the big screen. He, he says to his brother, oh, man. Guess I should get that fixed. And Luke said, "You can't now." <laughs> <laughs> nope. No, Owen, you can't now. Nope, you're stuck <laughs> with it now, buddy. <laughs> That's your calling card. 
that's like period stuff, you know, of any period, you know, frankly. You know, dressing up in costume, depicting something from another era. I like the idea of doing that, you know. That'd be fun. Uh, yeah, I'd like to do a World War II movie. Uh, oh, I'm a little long in the tooth for in that, but not a lot of 70 year old soldiers around. Uh, well, maybe you can shoot for a Civil War and, movie. They had soldiers of all ages. Civil War movie, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd love to do that. I'd love to do a Civil War movie. Uh, I did, I did, uh, kind of, wasn't a Civil War movie, but I dressed up in a Confederate uniform and, uh, did a film a few years ago. I got to ride a horse, you know. Biggest goddamn horse I've ever been on. <laughs> and, uh, I'm so short, you know. So I asked the guy, I couldn't, so they had a, a stirrups adjusted for me. And I couldn't get my leg up high enough to get on the horse, you know, put my foot in the stirrup. So I asked I, who I thought was a wrangler, but I guess he was just a grip that was standing there. I stuck my leg out and asked him for a leg up. He's like, what? I said, I need help getting up here. And instead of grabbing my foot, he just picked me up like a sack of potatoes and threw me head first over the fucking oh, saddle. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm laying my head on one side of the horse and my feet on the other. <laughs> well, you're up there figuring out how to. You're up there and figure out how to situate the saddle now. <laughs> Guys, yeah. like I did my part. You're on your own now, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> so, do you have any upcoming projects you got coming out, or is everything pretty much on hold right now? Uh, yeah, I got one I'm really looking forward to, which is on hold, of course, now, called The Blues Man, and I'll be playing uh, an old pawn show shop owner. I, I can't say a whole lot about it, but he ends up with the guitar of a very famous old blues singer in his, in his pawn shop. Well, when that comes out, I'll have you on and my other very, show. And there's a very bad being that uh, wants that guitar back. Oh, so you're saying it might might belong to somebody who allegedly sold their soul for uh, the ability to... Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So anybody who knows so, yeah. blues should know what we're talking about? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And so the devil, you know, it personif the devil personified shows up, <laughs> creating havoc in the small southern town. Uh, I look, and, I look uh, forward to this one. This is one of my favorite stories. Oh, me too. We got it's going to have a great soundtrack. We have a great musical director, and he's lining up musicians and uh, writing songs right now. And uh, it's a good script. I just got the final draft like two weeks ago, and it's a fucking great script. And I'm really looking forward, really looking forward to working on this project. I want to get it out there. I want to see it. Uh, and uh, I'd, I'd like to. Uh, they've already written a sequel to Rock, Paper, Scissors and uh, are trying to get the money to do it. So I would love to play Uncle Charles again. Now, that role was so much fun. 
to play. I don't know. Have you seen Rock, Paper, Scissors? No, I have it on my list to watch. Yeah, please do. For me. <laughs> oh, it's, I'm, I'm definitely going I'm to watch very it. Proud of my, very, I'm very proud of my work in that film. Because um, I kind of took the part at short notice. I was supposed to be playing just a cameo role. You know, being in LA for one day sort of thing. And shoot a little role and get killed or, you know, whatever. Whatever it was. And, uh, and so I, there were, we were starting to make arrangements and I had, I had received, uh, the deal memo to sign my, uh, to sign my uh, deal, my financial arrangements and everything. Uh, I'd gotten that, emailed me from the, uh, the casting director, uh, Megan Mara. And, uh, so I get this, uh, message from Megan John. Don't, I was supposed to sign it and send it back and uh i got a message saying john don't sign that don't sign that deal memo i thought man i'm being shit <laughs> damn it i'm getting fired you know yeah god damn it before you even start you know i'm getting fired before you even start and uh i said like what it's just like well they're making some changes i thought right hour later she gets back and says they want you to play uncle charles like Uncle Charles, really? It's like, what kind of changes can they make to a cameo? (laughs) Uh, Yeah. And uh, she says, uh, good news is you'll have uh, seven days uh, over a two-week time, so you'll be out here for quite a while, and uh, you know, for a couple weeks. And, uh, you know, seven days at your day rate, which was SAG minimum at the time was Six hundred ninety-five dollars a day, and uh, um, and we need you out here like next week. You know, we start rolling like next week. Maybe it was like two. Weeks. Well, that's a fast change. I was like, oh, <laughs> yeah. So I had to get on. You know, so I was, you know, I was slightly blindsided. So I went in feeling very nervous, and plus Tom Holland had called me and he had said uh, he wanted to talk to me he wasn't really familiar with me and, and uh, he said he finally said John can you are you up for it can you do can you do this role I said yeah Tom I'm up for it I can do this role I'm an actor you know I'm a trained experienced actor it's okay because this is a very important role very important it's a pivotal, you know, role. I said, I know Tom. Trust me, I can pull this off. So right off the bat, I thought, great. He doesn't have any confidence in me, you know. And uh, this is a real, you know, a pretty famous director in the horror community. And uh, so I get there. And, of course, my first day, they're shooting one of my hardest scenes. <laughs> that always happens. You arrive on set. And they want to do your hardest scene first. Like, we got him here. Great. <laughs> we got him. Let's rope him in. They won't let you. Yeah, they, <laughs> they won't let you ease into it. You know, get used to the crew and all that shit. <laughs> they just thrust you in there. So we do the first setup. Oh, gosh, knows how many times. Um, we change camera angles real quick. Do some more. Then we have to do a reverse uh, and shoot from the other direction altogether. So they have to relight, you know, break it down, move everything, 
swing it around. So Tom goes, hey, John, uh, come here. So I walk over to where he's sitting. I thought, here we go. And he goes, uh, what have you been doing for the last 40 years, man? I thought, oh, he must like what I'm doing. <laughs> and, uh, and I said, well, you know, I've been living, acting, and, uh, working, and trying to make a living. I raised a child, you know. Uh, and he goes, playing like kindly old uncles and grandpas and stuff like that. And, you know, and I said, yeah, well, yeah, some of that. And, uh, then he goes, that, that thing you're doing, that weird breathing thing you're doing. He goes, uh, uh, give me uh, some more of that. You know, keep doing that. Like that. And I said, well, okay. And he goes, let me ask you something, John. Are you afraid of overacting this role? I said, well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I am. I think the potential to overact this is, you know, I'm trying to come in somewhat subtly. He goes, don't do that. <laughs> I said, oh, really? And he said, yeah, uh, this character, John, that you're playing, you are a psychopath in the memory of a psychopath. You cannot overact this role. So at that point, he just pretty much cut the reins and let me go, you know. So it was a fucking ball. Man. That's some trust. To have that, to have that kind of freedom, yeah. you know. It was just great. I had to do a lot of laughing too, and I, uh, uh, so I'd done that. You know, when I did the killer on stage, I, <laughs> I had plenty of practice doing different types of laughs, evil, strange laughs. So, <laughs> so uh, yeah, that was great. And it was great spending time in LA again. You know, staying downtown and not waiting tables. Uh, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Working on a film set, you know, that had some money behind it, you know, a professional crew and real good equipment and, you know, all that. So, John, where can, uh, craft where can your fans find you? Like on Facebook, uh, on Twitter? Yeah, just, just Facebook. Facebook. Yeah. I'm on Twitter too, but I, I never got on there. For one thing, I can never remember my damn password. So, because I rarely get on there. I know the feeling. So I do most of my communicating with fans on Facebook. And I will put that link in the uh, episode description. Okay. Also, uh, on the lookout, people, uh, Paul, have you seen Deviant Behavior yet? Yes. Okay. Is that something I really enjoyed doing? And uh, it was back in Texas for a few days working again. We shot in Corpus Christi. Enjoyed playing that role, uh, and they're a real talented young company. I think they're going to go far. Uh, the guy who played the lead role, who uh, uh, played Charlie, um, also wrote all the music and formed all the music and everything. Huh. Talented guy. That's some multitasking. Uh, yeah, he, well, yeah, he's just. He's an actor, writer, musician, uh, web designer, too. <laughs> so, he just is one of those people. You just want to slap so that man wears many hats. <laughs> yeah. People who are talented and motivated. I hate him. So you can be talented <laughs> or motivated. Pick one, damn it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
There's a lot of really motivated and untalented people. Huh? All right. We can find you on Facebook. You can find me at the electronic media collective.com or on Twitter at Moose Media Inc., where you will find all your Moose Media needs. Please feel free to leave comments or suggestions on what you would like to see me cover in future episodes. John, I think that'll about do it for us for this one. I want to thank you for coming on and chatting with me. This has been a blast. Oh, it has been fun. Thanks, uh, thanks, uh, Moose. Um, thanks, Moose Man. Moosey. <laughs> Moosey Goosey. And until next time, folks, <laughs> mash on. So long. Chills and thrills if you dare. <laughs>